Demons Discuss, Take 66, The One with Love Sickness. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We're your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie, and with me is Angela and Jean. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hey, everybody. And uh, let's see here. What are we talking about, Angela? Shadow of Night, Chapter 40, a little blending of the past with the present. Oh, oh I always love it when that happens. This chapter was a little bit of a gut punch to most of us because of a surprise element in there couple surprise elements, really, for the first mm-hmm. read. For those of you coming through it the first time, for us, it's kind of like, eh, we knew that was going to happen. So whatever. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we, we, we were prepared. Yes, we were. I have to say, the first time, though, I've already been conditioned for these anomalies. I wasn't expecting an anomaly, but I was not so disturbed. Like, what the hell's going on now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where are we? <laughs> yes. What is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> that first one was something else. Uh, yeah, with Rima. <laughs> Rima oh. in some dusky old freaking library. And some sweaty and that, guy. <laughs> oh, uh, the sweaty guy and the lazy boss. Oh, yeah. God. Talk about a horror show. And see, you can tell we've all been there because, you know, <laughs> the, way we, yeah. the way we all recoiled when we thought about it. Yes. Yeah, so it's just like, uh all right, let's talk about Patreon, shall we? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Always. We have no ads besides this one. Oh, anyway, no. interrupting our conversation because of listeners like you. They supply us with the cash that it takes us to run this podcast. Also, we're nonprofit. Everything we make goes back into the pod. It's folded back into the podcast and operations. None of this goes to us personally because we have jobs for that. Mind-numbing, day-in, (laughs) day-out jobs. (laughs) So, yay! (laughs) Yay for that. Thanks goes to our patrons who keep this operation sustainable for us. And all we have to do is show up, record, edit, mix, master, review, produce notes, publish, and promote. That's it. Oh, and don't forget the marketing and graphics. Oh, yeah, marketing and graphics. But that's it. So, thank you. Yay! Jean, it's your turn. Tell our listeners about the benefits of becoming a patron. You do your thing. Two, just two dollars a month. Two bucks a month. You get us every week with the after show, which is a rare treat. Is it? You get us unplugged. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it is. If I do say so myself, it is pretty entertaining. And it's kind of a slice of life. You get all kinds of things. Book recommendations, TV reviews, commentary on the judicial system. Yeah. system, the HVAC system in our houses, right? the occasional ghost story. Right. So a dollar a show is, there's a hell of a lot of entertainment there. There is. And if you want to up your level to something higher, that marketing and graphic stuff becomes all kinds of excellent exclusive swag, tote bags, magnets, stickers, stuff that we'll be telling you about in the near future, our cool new holographic stickers. Mm-hmm. Who knows? There may be t-shirts. We'll see. They are at the highest level, but you know what? Uh, that level sold out. So Yep, that's yep. an unavailable level. Yeah. An unattainable <laughs> level at this time. Yes. <laughs> So if you're interested in joining, go to patreon.com slant demons discuss. And I forgot the most important thing. What? Our undying gratitude. <gasps> oh, yay. Oh. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We are so thankful. Demon love counts for something. Absolutely. 
Let's go to discuss her emails. So who wants to go? Sounds good. I have one from Zoe. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Zoe. She says, hi, Angela, Jean, and Val. So chapter 40, for this last anomaly chapter, we're at set to her as Isabeau is reading the newspaper article about Master Harriet Spyglass, Jack, and then a heart emoji in parenthesis, mm-hmm. being found in New England in the 21st century. Not surprisingly, we have a lot to catch up on. It's been a while, but we seem to get it all in a rush. In a few short paragraphs, we learn that Isabeau has a myriad of guests, all creatures, species, and one human. Sophie and Nathaniel's baby, Margaret has been born. Marcus and Sophie are now very much a couple. They're in love. Love. <laughs> <laughs> and Marcus is stressing that they can't persuade anyone to sell the telescope. Uh, then the almost throwaway reference to the events of May. Wait, what? Mm. Where? When? Question mark. <laughs> huh? Yep. I remember the first time I read those words. I literally went back desperately searching to see what I'd missed. Every time it's the same. And when Sarah says, tell me that Emily is still alive, it's the same feeling of shock, sudden, out of the blue, horrible and unexpected. Isabeau's news that the kids are coming home is good, but this short chapter leaves a sad slash happy aftertaste. And despite the amount of information offloaded, there seems to be more unsaid than said. I agree. Mm-hmm. Man, and then we had to wait four fucking years. <laughs> I know what happened. <laughs> this is true. It was, uh, was it four years? I'm still bitter about that. It was yeah, two it was years. Four it was years. two years. Two years. It felt no. like four. Yeah. yeah. It was dog years. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Okay, it was four dog years. It was four years to find out about damn Phoebe and Marcus. It I'm was sorry. the dark yes. ages. Yes. <laughs> yeah. God. On a cheerier oh, wait, two note. fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> on a cheerier note, my favorite Isabel moment appears in this chapter, taking the clippings from the newspaper with her fingernails. Yes. She must have killer nails. Mind break when I look at them. I hope that makes it to the show. That's all for me for now. Take care, ladies. Your demon in training, Zoe XO. Thank you, Zoe. I wanna, I, let's, I want to promote her to demon. She's, yes, she's not a demon in training. Demon. She's completed her training. <laughs> and the other fun thing about the fingernails and the the newspaper clippings, mm. it's very Morticia. Yes, it is. Didn't Isabel cut her flowers like Morticia mm-hmm. in Discovery of Witches yes, with her fingernails? She does. <laughs> yep, yes, she does. I love the Morticia shout outs, even if I can't count years. Don't lose track of time. <laughs> it felt like four in, years. It I got felt stuck like four in years. a time clock. <laughs> it's the time loop, Jean. It's the time loop. What do you have, Jean? I have a discusser email from Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Yes, Caroline. Thank you for sending this in. Hello, demons. I finally caught up with my reading and have just read the last few chapters. Here are my thoughts on your questions. The last anomaly. I find it hard to believe that this telescope would appear now. Wouldn't Diana have instructed Galaglass to do one of two things to make sure this stayed in the hands of the de Clermonts or to get the telescope published? This turning up with the mousetrap doesn't help. Perhaps this telescope might have changed the course of history drastically, but I can't see Diana wanting this knowledge becoming public until they have returned. Revelations. Isabel really understands Diana now, which is a really great sign for the future. Phoebe will probably become a matriarch at some point in time, too. She seems to have the temperament for it. Emily's death. I found that difficult to understand that there was little explanation in this book apart from sacrificing herself to save the others. And I do hope the TV series does a better job of this in season two. Hmm. My thoughts on the reread of Sun, I definitely got a lot more detail in the second read, especially the scenes between Diana and her father and also Andrew Hubbard's demeanor, certainly knowing the plot of the book of life. Sun is my favorite book as historical facts and people make it more real. Caroline. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Caroline. And she follows instructions and prompts too. I love that. Yes. <laughs> it makes my lawyer heart happy. 
I have to comment, though, because whether Diana was being careless. No, I think she was purposeful. Just like Isabeau said, Mm -hmm. she meant to send it out that way. She had some kind of witchy tingling in her her brain saying, oh, this is how I'm going to send my message back to them and let them know we're on our way back. She's, you know... The equivalent of picking up her cell phone and calling them right quick and say, okay, we'll be there in a few. I don't know when. And Matthew supported her decision. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if he had some witchy tingling, too. Yeah. Wouldn't Diana have instructed Galloglass to do one of two things to make sure it stayed in the hands of the Claremonts? No, she needed it to. Well, I kind of did. It did. And she she needed it to get published. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing was, too, he was very art. Well, we'll get into this when we get to the chapter, because it's a very artful way of doing it, too. Yeah. All right. Who's next? Me. Who do we have next? Me. Let's see here. Uh, Mine is from Chloe. Hi, Chloe. Hi, Chloe. She says, almost there, demons. So chapter 40. I was surprised to find another anomaly chapter, and they always throw me because I expect to read more about Matthew and Diana. (laughs) Like Angela, where's Matthew? (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, isn't Baldwin in this one either? Right. Watching Phoebe trying to manage the Declaremonts and navigate this world she didn't know existed was extremely entertaining. Sarah makes me so angry. It makes me want to slap her. Okay, wait till you have kids. You're going to understand, Sarah. Yeah. I swear. Uh-huh. Uh, Isabel has opened her house to Sarah and Emily to protect them, but Sarah insists on behaving like a spoiled teenager. Okay. The fact that Emily died, I think, didn't register the first time I read Sun. I was too caught up with Diana and Matthew to really care about the present time. So that's all today. I can't wait to start the Book of Life. Your vampire down under, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. Yeah, Sarah's not for everybody. <laughs> She's for me. <laughs> Sarah, you know what? Sarah's for me now, too. She's my Elizabeth Warren. Yep. Out of fucks and full of facts. That's right. <laughs> She's a definitely an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. And once you get older, you'll understand why. Yeah. After having the kids, you'll be like, oh, I get Sarah now. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's start the wagon. This chapter discussion is brought to us by Catherine Quirk. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. All right, so when we left off, off in chapter 39 we had just run through our moving day checklist we said our goodbyes made plans mapped out a route to return to 2010 we open up chapter 40 and realize that we beat matthew and diana to 2010 i mean we're here before they are right hmm. yeah i wonder if they had like a witchy, witchy version of those old school flip over triple a trip kits <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like a human version of not magic. Yeah. No. <laughs> True. I it's miss true. those. It's like sometimes I, I love being able to turn over to the next page. A triptych. And, yep. Yes. And I'm sorry. Garmin just does not give the same same level of satisfaction. Sure doesn't. Over Neither that does page. Siri. <laughs> I'm sorry. I already digress. <laughs> So we find ourselves with Isabeau and she's reading the paper. It seems there's an article about an item that we have left back in 1591. Yay. What did you guys think of this when we open up? And Angela, I know you said you were used to the anomalies by now, but when you read it, did you understand that you were reading about what we had just read about Thomas Harriet? Do you know what I mean? I did. And I was happy that he got his credit. Yes. And I was excited to find out, okay, how is it going to pop, you know, the details of how and where it pops up. Those were so, mm-hmm. have been so meaty and fun and right. 
there was always a teaching moment built in right. or five. Yeah. <laughs> and Galloglass happened to have planted it in a place where it got discovered. Someone had to take it in to get appraised. And then they see his name and they're like, oh, what? We have to tell the papers. Look, the paper shows up neatly on Isabeau's desk and she's like, ha ha. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What's going on? All right. So let's start this. It says all the English papers had some variation of the same headline. But Isabel thought the one in the Times was the cleverest. The uh, headline was English man wins race to see into space. 30 June 2010. And I'll read it. The world's leading expert on early scientific instruments at Oxford University's Museum of the History of Science. Anthony Carter confirmed today that a refracting telescope bearing the names of Elizabethan mathematician and astronomer Thomas Harriet and Nicholas Valin, a Huguenot clockmaker who fled France for religious reasons, is indeed genuine. In addition to the names, the telescope is engraved with the date 1591. The discovery has electrified the scientific and the historical communities. For centuries, Italian mathematician Galileo Galilei had been credited with borrowing uh, rudimentary telescope technology from the Dutch in order to view the moon in 1609. The history books will have to be rewritten. We written. We written. Rewritten, said Carter. Thomas Harriet has read Giambastista della Porta's Natural Magic and become intrigued with how convex and concave lenses could be used to see both things far off and things near hand, both greater and clearly. Thomas Harriet's contributions to the field of astronomy were overlooked in part because he did not publish them. Uh-huh. Publisher Parish. Mm-hmm. Preferring to share his discoveries with a close group of friends some call the School of Night. Under the patronage of Walter Raleigh and Henry Percy, the Wizard Earl of Northumberland, Harriet was financially free to explore his interests. Ah, no mention of Matthew there, though, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mr. Moneybags. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I Mr. Like, Moneybags was on the down low. Yep. I like how you said patronage, too. <laughs> you know, hey. <laughs> it's the original Patreon. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. I.P. Riddle discovered the telescope along with a box of assorted mathematical papers in Thomas Harriet's hand, an elaborate silver mousetrap. Also signed by Valin. He was repairing the bells of St. Michael's Church near the Percy family seat in Alnwick when a particularly strong gust of wing brought down a faded tapestry of St. Margaret slaying the dragon, revealing the box that had been secreted there. Mm. Uh huh. It is rare for instruments of this period to have so many identifying marks, Dr. Carter explained to reporters, revealing the date mark stamped into the telescope, which confirms the item was made in 1591-92. Why did it say 92 also? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. That's weird. Typo, maybe? Continuity error? Mm. Maybe it's just historian speak that even though it definitely says 1591, uh, we're not going <laughs> to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to give a date range. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Give it a window. A margin of error. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're building in a margin of error, even though we don't need one. Right. <laughs> we owe a great debt to Nicholas Valin, who knew that this was an important development in the history of scientific instrumentation and took unusual measures to record its genealogy and provenance. You know what I thought mm-hmm. of, course, of, cre- of course, the credit yes. goes to the guy. Yeah. yeah, to the guy, not the woman behind the great guy. Yeah. Right. Again. Yeah, well, it's just like they thought that Mary Sidney's assistant was a man. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Because, you know, her little female brain couldn't have come up with that by herself, huh? And you know what? That is so clever of Deb in a way because that mirrors so much of what has happened in science over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, discovery of DNA, the lady astronomer we learned all about when we went to uh, Boston. Yeah. Are just two that come to mind right now. Even Aurora Consurgents. Yeah. Yeah. There's your sneaky professor right there. Okay, so here comes Marcus. He says they refuse to sell it and he's leaning against the door frame with his arms and legs crossed. We haven't seen him since Phoebe. Yeah. And we have a whole new perspective of him. So me, myself, I was like, oh, what's up, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, you would think getting laid would calm him down, but apparently not. No, no. With his arms and legs crossed, he looked very much like Matthew. I've spoken to everyone from the Alnwick Church officials to the Duke of Northumberland to the Bishop of Newcastle. They're not going to give up the telescope, not even for the small fortune you offered. I think I've convinced them to let me buy the mousetrap, though. Isabel's like, the whole world knows about it. Even Le Mans has reported the story. And Marcus says, we should have tried harder to squash the story. This could give the witches and their allies vital information. Marcus said, the growing number of people living inside the walls of September had been worrying for weeks about what the congregation might do if the exact whereabouts of Diana and Matthew were discovered. Hmm. The, uh, the anomaly, the uh, Ark has knocks in both those places. Knocks for witches and knocks for congregation. Really? Yep. Huh. Okay. That was your Ark report, people. <laughs> <laughs> what does Phoebe think? Isabeau asked. She had taken an instant liking to the observant young human with her firm chin and gentle ways. Marcus's face softened. It made him look as he did before Matthew left when he was carefree and joyful. And Marcus says she thinks it's too soon to tell what damage has been done by the telescope's discovery. And Isabeau says, smart girl. And then Marcus begins. He's like, I don't know what I'd do. I love her, grandma. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of of an awkward transition. (laughs) Right. I realize that we're like running out of space and time in the book and we've got to cram a lot of information in, but yeah, that was kind of a non sequitur, right? (laughs) That was like a weird info dump. I was like, I could see why some people were a little put off by the whole whirlwind romance. I'm just saying, Isabel was sitting here thinking about this whole scheme and looking at the big picture and Mark is like, but I love her. (laughs) I mean, I I like, I like Phoebe, but at this point, I think on first read, I'm like, they're still giving her so much credit so soon and I I don't know it says she thinks yeah. it's too soon to tell I mean you're vampires you don't rush into judgment you don't rush you, you have time on your side yeah. so everyone should think it's too well, soon right and for me what I also like first time reading through it I also thought is like man did they ch- cut out a big chunk of this chapter somewhere or was right. something cut out of another chapter because it seems like, like just all the clips <laughs> yeah it's like the info best of yeah yes yes yeah, yeah here, here you're getting the cliff notes version here it's just all that time we spent in Prague, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and all that time going back and forth to Prague. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> Up the hill, we, down the hill. <laughs> we missed a lot. <laughs> too, too many pretzels. Yeah. <laughs> After the events of May, Marcus had wanted her with the rest of the family and had brought her to Septora to stay. The two of them were inseparable. 
And Phoebe had shown remarkable savoir-faire as she met the Assembly of Demons, witches and vampires currently in residence. See, and that made me think, wait a minute, she must know about creatures if she didn't freak the fuck out. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Even on a subconscious level, she she knew something was up. That's when I think naming it the trilogy right off the bat, say I'm going to write three books. Yeah, I, I don't agree, Deb. I, maybe that was an amateur mistake. <laughs> I don't know. This is her first novel. So, I mean, this is her first series of novels. So she didn't know. I think so. I mean, she considered it one story. And if she could have published it in one story, she would have. But that's not how commercial publishing happens. Right. (laughs) So maybe if she's just wrote out everything she was thinking and just split it out into four or five. Like I always thought the series should be four or five. But Mm -hmm. I, I get it. Constraints and all. Let's see here. If she had been surprised to learn that there were other creatures sharing the world with humans, she had not revealed it. Most likely she knew they existed. I'm thinking. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they're just painting her as a cool cucumber and, you know, nothing rattles her. Well, in the beginning of Times Convert, they're pretty, her family, I mean, they're not totally relaxed, but they're accepting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it happens because she's a diplomat's daughter. Yeah. And she's got to deal with weird people anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the other thing too. I mean, we don't know how many generations her family has been in service. Mm-hmm. True. In, in the diplomatic service, it could very well be that the Taylors have been doing this since Elizabeth's time or since King Charles's time when monarchs still knew about creatures and right. dealt with creatures right. on a regular basis. And who's to say that they still don't? Yeah. And then they had to read in their diplomats and all the associated yeah. characters. I get it. Yep. Membership in Marcus's conventicle had swelled considerably over the past months. Matthew's assistant, Miriam, was now a permanent resident in the chateau, as were Philippe's daughter, Varen, and her husband, Ernst. Galglass, Isabeau's restless grandson, had shocked them all by staying put there for six whole weeks. Wow. All right. Hmm. Even now, he showed no signs of leaving. Sophie Norman and Nathaniel Wilson welcomed their new baby, Margaret, into the world under Isabeau's roof. And now the baby's authority in the chateau was second only to the de Claremont matriarchs. With her grandchild living at Septour, Nathaniel's mother, Agatha, appeared and reappeared without warning, as did Matthew's best friend, Hamish. Even Baldwin flitted through occasionally. Hmm. Never in her long life had Isabeau expected to be such a chatelaine, 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 hostess. Thank you. Of such a household. Marcus asks, where's Sarah? I don't hear her. And then uh, Isabeau's like in the round tower. And then she ran her sharp nail around the edge of the newspaper story and neatly lifted up the clip columns from the printed surround. There you go, Zoe. (laughs) Oh, here's an aside. Uh, Chatelaine is actually, it's kind of a pouch that the female head of the household would wear on her belt, which would carry her keys and other, her tools, basically like a tool belt, only they were very ornate and pretty and the object and the title became one and the same. Look at that. So a purse. Yay! Basic, basic, uh, <laughs> precursor to a pocket. <laughs> the pocket precursor. Although keys ruin your pockets, so that is yeah, a Yeah, they thing. do. Yeah. yeah. Well, which is why we've all gone to key fobs. Yeah. Right. Uh, Sophie and Margaret sat with her for a while. Sophie says Sarah's keeping watch. For what? What's happened now? And this is Marcus. And he's snatching the newspaper off and he read all that morning and he's been tracking the subtle shifts in money and influence at 
Nathaniel had found a way to analyze and isolate so that they can be better prepared for the congregation's next move. So they've been playing little spy games. And then here he goes again. A world without Phoebe. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Oh. He's, he's oh. very lovesick here. <laughs> Jesus, God. Oh, let's play some some nice romantic music here. Um, Chickawawa. <laughs> a world without Phoebe was inconceivable, but Nathaniel Wait, had... Wait, there's another non sequitur. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh my God. But Nathaniel had become nearly as indispensable. Not quite Nathaniel, but nearly, yeah. okay? You get that. <laughs> You yeah. yeah. You get all the work, Phoebe gets all the play. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow Nathaniel got the bad under the deal. Yeah, he's business in the front. She's party in the back. I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh my god, there's mud in that dish. <laughs> Steven, we need the tow truck. <laughs> okay. That was snort worthy. <laughs> All right. We're going to get ourselves out. We're going to do this. Okay. We're going to do okay. this. It's Marcus's damn fault again. Damn it. <laughs> That damn telescope is going to be a problem. I just know it. See, it's like foreshadowing. Uh, No. (laughs) All the congregation needs is a time walking witch in this story, and they'll have everything they need to go back in the past and find my father. Hmm. Who just said that? Hmm. (laughs) And then uh, Isabel's like, your father won't be there much longer if he's still there at all. And Marcus is like, really? Grandmere? Really? Mm. Being a little snotty. I, I feel like Marcus is a little snotty with Isabeau. She should smack him more, I think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, you know how grandparents are. Yeah. <laughs> She's a way too indulgent grandmother. I saw a meme the other day. It was Queen Latifah. And they said a grandma raising her own kids. And it was Queen Latifah. And I don't know, maybe it was um, some bank robbery movie. And she's like holding a gun outside the window driving by. <laughs> and, like, and then grandma raising her grandkids. And it was like Queen Latifah, you know, all nice looking. Oh, and for nice the Oscars. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come to grandma. <laughs> right. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> With your parents are ready to do drive-bys on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Marcus's attention was still glued to the text surrounding the hole that Isabel had left in the Times. And he says, how can you possibly know that? And Isabel's just sitting there. She's like, I picture filing her nails. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's a cat. She's the black cat filing. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> OK, let me explain this to you again, son. All right. Yeah, it's like, all right. One more time. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you in the back. <laughs> First, there were the miniatures, then the laboratory records, and now the telescope. I know my daughter-in-law. This telescope is exactly the kind of gesture Diana would make if she had nothing left to lose. Isabel brushed past her grandson. Diana and Matthew are coming home. Okay. Marcus's expression was unreadable. And Isabel's like, I expected you to be happier about your father's return. And she's like looking at him like, 
Huh? And then Marcus is like, it's been a difficult few months. The congregation made it clear that they want the book and Nathaniel's daughter. Once Diana's here, Isabel's like, they'll stop at nothing. At least we will no longer have to worry about something happening to Diana and Matthew in the past. We will be together as Septor fighting side by side. Jesus, Marcus, you should know better. It's like better to fight a war on one front than two. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> Is that where it ends? Side by side? Yeah. Fighting side by side? because uh, and, and then she says, in, in her head, she's saying, Oh, dying. Not, okay, dying good. Like, that's pretty dark. Side. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a dark way to end the damn book, mm. more or less. So much has changed since last November. Marcus stared into the shining surface of the table as though he were a witch and it might show him the future. In their lives, too, I suspect. You know what? That's foreshadowing right there. That all creatures are one. Mm. Do you think it's on purpose? I think it is. Mm. I don't think anything's by accident in this book. Nothing's ever by accident with the, the series. Yeah, we don't believe in coincidences. No. Yep. Not, not at all. After Marcus said so much has changed since November, and then Isabel says in their lives too, I suspect, but your father's love for you is constant. Sarah needs Diana now. You need Matthew, too. Isabel took her clipping and headed to the round tower, leaving Marcus to his thoughts. Once it had been Philippe's favorite jail, now it was used to store old family papers. Though the door to the room on the third floor was ajar, Isabel rapped on it smartly. And here's uh, Sarah. She says, you don't have to knock. This is your house. The rasp in Sarah's voice indicated how many cigarettes she'd been smoking and how much whiskey she's been drinking. <laughs> Sarah's not Great. a good way. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. When in I, a tower full of paper. Yeah. yeah. Great. First read when I didn't like Sarah, you know, I thought of uh, Harvey Firestein as Sarah. <laughs> and well, now, now that I love Sarah, I think of the beautiful Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but still, Harvey, even Harvey wouldn't do bad on a gender swap Sarah ever, though. No. No, no he wouldn't. He'd no. have that voice, though. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So, but the contrast on first read between Sarah and Isabeau is so stark when you like think of Sarah the way you originally pictured her. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. This sounds totally irreverent, but it's kind of like trading places. You know, the derelict and oh, yeah. the Wall Street guy totally is like. <laughs> and look how Sarah quickly is, they flip that. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, because Sarah, Sarah's first read, she did kind of come across as the crazy homeless lady railing at the gods on the street corner with her basket full of all of her possessions and the wild hair. And I picture the, the meth head, the pine of what you're the describing. Pine well, I'm going old school. I'm going old school with the, the pint and a paper bag. I was thinking like on Saturday Night Live on the, um, oh God, the weekend update. Occasionally they have this one lady come in and she's like a meth head. Oh, <laughs> she's constantly lighting a cigarette. She's tweaking and she's trying to uh, describe world events. And you, you just picture this woman living in, you know, <laughs> yeah. living in an alley somewhere. <laughs> just a mess. Yeah. Uh, so Isabeau says... If that's how you behave, I'm glad not to be your guest. My guest? Sarah laughed softly. I would never let you into my house. <laughs> that's right, Sarah. <laughs> you go, Sarah. <laughs> Isabeau says, vampires don't usually require an invitation. 
Isabel and Sarah had preferred the art of acerbic banter. Marcus and M had tried without success to persuade them to obey the rules of courteous communication, but the two clan matriarchs knew that their sharp exchanges helped maintain their fragile balance of power. You should not be up here, Sarah. And then Sarah's like, well, why not? Afraid I'll catch my death of cold? Sarah's voice hitched with sudden pain, and she doubled over as if she had been struck. Goddess, help me. I miss her. Tell me this is a dream, Isabeau. Tell me that Emily is still alive. And Isabeau says, it's not a dream, as gently as she could. We all miss her. I know that you're empty and aching inside, Sarah. And Sarah's like, and it'll pass. <laughs> Isabel's like, no, no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> All the notes. Yeah. I mean, they really do have the same attitude. Their delivery is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Isabel explains every day of my life, I yearn for Philippe. The sun rises and my heart cries out for him. I listen for his voice, but there's silence. I crave his touch. When the sun sets, I retire in the knowledge that my mate is gone from the world and I will never see his face again. Sarah's like, if you're trying to make me feel better, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Isabel explains Emily died so Sophie and Nathaniel's child might live those who played a part in killing her will pay for it I promise you the Declaremonts are very good at revenge Sarah and Sarah's like and revenge will make me feel better Isabel says no seeing Margaret grow up to womanhood will help so will this and then Isabel dropped the cutting onto the witch's lap Diana and Matthew are coming home and that is the end of that short oh. little chapter Yay! Any thoughts? Uh, Jean, you said you had something here. I have a story. Um, oh, tell us a story. It's the story about the wayward tapestry that the gust of wind blew away. Oh. St. Margaret and the Dragon. Okay. Now, you've got, of course, the whole St. Margaret, Margaret being Sophie and Nathaniel's child right. as well, which also ties back to witches and demons working together to send a sign. Hmm. Makes me wonder if Nicholas Valen's a demon too, but probably not. Probably not. I Deb think Diana would mention it. Yeah. But St. Margaret. St. Margaret was a young virgin follower of the church and did battle with the devil in the form of a dragon. Oh. Well, the dragon ate her. Oh, okay. The dragon ate her and St. Margaret fought her way out of the dragon. Well, you know, she had some fight in her, the girl. Yeah, she had more <laughs> right. than a little bit of fight in her. Um, survived the dragon trying to kill her and basically cut her way right out of the dragon's stomach, killing the dragon, which I thought was a lot more glamorous than St. George and just the plain old on horseback cutting his head off. Had a little bit more style. Oh, glamorous or more gruesome. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah, but that's St. Margaret. Yeah. Anything else before we end it and gavel it? Uh, Gavel. 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 (laughs) I'm just trying to think if there were any other eggs in that chapter that we haven't already touched on other than St. Margaret and uh, the foreshadowing and looking up Galileo Galilei and everybody else. That's your Google homework for tonight, people. Mm. That's about it. That's it. Angela, you? No, just adding to that, it says St. Margaret is the patron saint of expectant mothers so that was there you go there you go and there it is going once (laughs) going twice so the gavel's nice and loud for you there angela thank you very much you're welcome let's go on to housekeeping housekeeping this time is brought to us by Susie gwen thank you Susie. thank Thank you Susie. housekeeping Who's got something for housekeeping? I have a message from Stephen, our discusser in chief. Yay! Stephen, yay! 
Do I need to give any backstory? I think you do, because this is a funny little story. (laughs) (laughs) So I collect Starbucks mugs, and you guys are always on the lookout for my Starbucks mugs, and we'll get one. But actually, when we were in Oxford, Jean decided to nab that one for herself. So packed it up. Didn't make the trip quite as she had planned and had a big chip out of it. Right, Jean? Out of the rim? Yeah. Oh, no. It cracked in half. Oh. Somebody dropped that bag. You held it together in that little box very well. So, yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. It was a very clean break. Yeah. So, so we had talked about another episode. So In Steve, the after show, I think. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so Stephen, being the discusser in chief and Johnny on the spot, had offered to pick up another Oxford mug for Jean. Saving right. the day. Our hero. Yay. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so, so grateful. Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't know when we'll be back in Oxford. We have a feeling someday, but not, we don't know when. So Yeah, not yes. sometime immediately soon. And they could start a whole new line. And I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and she oh, wants no. that one. Yeah. <laughs> so he writes, so I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I'm a bit of an Italian espresso snob. I have both the La Pavoni lever machine and the Gaja electric pump machine. I froth up milk with a Lavoni steam, steam wand for cappuccino and refine the bean grind and tamping pressure for espresso shots with good crema with no bitter or burnt taste with the gaja. What I don't do is add sweet flavored shots to tart up my coffee. To tart up my coffee! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, today I compromised my purest principles and went into the branch of Starbucks in the city of Oxford for the explicit purpose of procuring a new mug for Jean. All I need now is Jean's mailing address in order to forward the mug to its new owners. Best regards, your discusser in chief, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen, thank you so much for lowering your standards just for me. Just for a minute. <laughs> right. I, I hope it wasn't too traumatic. Thank you so much. I did write him back and said, you know, congratulations on making it to the other side of that turmoil. <laughs> Thank you for your toil. Yes. <laughs> and being a brave soldier. Yeah. You know, yeah. he side-eyed the machines, though. In there. Yeah. Oh, God. They he probably side-eyed the beans. everything. Yeah. yeah. What is this? And that, Burnt and stuff. All, <laughs> and all that tarty, and all that tarty uh, syrup stuff. On yeah. The yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to tart up your coffee, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we won't talk about the smoked butterscotch latte I picked up this morning on my way back from dropping Absolutely off Ag- not. Agatha Proserpina for her service. <laughs> Jean, what do you have? I have a lovely email from Persephone. Hi, Persephone. And it's regarding chapter 39. Oh. Hope all is well with you guys. I am still so enjoying and appreciating your wonderful heartwarming podcast. Thank you for battling through the travel and work commitments and Jerry's audio interference for us. Oh, you're welcome. We're trying. I know. It's a daily battle. Yep. (laughs) Regarding chapter 39 of Sun, overall, for me, there seems to be a quickening of pace in this chapter and the distinct notion that time is running out for the story. A bit like that sinking feeling you get at the end of a holiday when you sober up and know that the reality of work has to be faced. Mm. For me, the tying up of the loose ends seemed to be done without much detail, making me feel quite anxious about 16th century Matthew, Gallo Glass, and the poor children. However, I found the farewell scene with Goody Alsop very touching. It was as if she had been holding out for Diana to complete her training, and now her age and the burdens of life have caught up with her. I can absolutely see the actress Sheila Hancock nailing this scene for the TV series, too, both demonstrating Goody's frailty and the acceptance of sadness, but also her amazing inner strength. 
By contrast, I found the farewell scene with Andrew Hubbard puzzling. I could not understand why Diana chose a creature she was repulsed by to take care of the children. Is it another ploy of the goddess to lead Diana to entrust their young lives to him? After all, he does prove in the next novel to have been a good guardian to Jack. Moreover, I am always astonished that Diana continues to take risks that will hurt and bewilder Matthew, such as letting Hubbard taste her blood. Did she not remember that giving a vampire blood would tell him such a lot about her, such as her real name? Duh. Duh. Although she's very pleased with herself, she manages to outwit him. I am troubled that she wants Hubbard to do this tremendous favor. That is, parenting a little defenseless boy who Diana seems to be living without too much pain, actually. But she does it in what seems to be a mean-spirited, dishonest way. Have I missed something? And am I judging Diana too harshly? Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Meanwhile, poor Matthew is haunted by the knowledge of Walter's future and spoils his farewell to his friend. I don't think Matthew gets enough sympathy for the difficulty he has faced throughout his stay in 1590, having lived it already and having to face it all again with 21st century perceptions and sensitivities. He can't win. If he behaves like a 16th century prince, we give him hell. And if he tries to do things differently this time around, he mostly fails and disappoints us again. Yeah, it's Matthew. Hot mess. If we didn't have the hot mess, I think we'd be even more disappointed. Uh, yeah, that'd be a disappointment. Be like, sound like you on the TV yeah. show. Where's our hot mess, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you what did you do with my Matthew? Yeah. Is he hiding in the closet somewhere? Yeah. What about? Okay. The telescope episode for me, although his interesting historically, just increases the pathos of Jill being Jill Jack being left behind without Matthew and Diana. <laughs> you said Jill. When, uh, Jack, Jack and Jill went up the hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when Matthew uses the telescope as a metaphor with the idea of comforting Jack in the future, all I can think of is a little ad suffering his night terrors and wondering where the hell his adoptive parents have gone without telling him. I am mm. holding out hope that the farewell between Kit and Matthew will be expanded with dialogue between those two wonderful actors good and hughes and tv series too me too I, yeah. I want as much of those two together as we can get diana managing that farewell as she did in the book after all the trauma that had gone on between kit matthew and kit felt a little unrealistic to me i don't know i think it's, it gave diana some personal growth there and i kind of like the way that she was trying deb was trying to model behavior for people in general as far as forgiveness is for the forgiver not for the yeah, person that was forgiven. for her not for kid yeah not mm-hmm. not even for matthew it's for her for her yeah. own peace of mind like i i need to walk away from this knowing that i wasn't a total bitch mm-hmm. i did peace what i needed to do yeah finally this is not pertinent to this chapter but i do have a little question from the category of everything i've wanted to know about vampires but were afraid to ask it is this is there any science that explains how vampire blood given by mouth and not intra venously turns a person sucked dry of his or her blood into a living vampire. How does the donor vampire blood get into the venous system of the new creature? Is that explained anywhere that I've overlooked? Hmm. Anyway, looking so forward to the next podcast and wish all you demon goddesses the very best in everything that you're doing. Persephone. Thank you, Persephone. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is a future question for Dr. Shelley. I think Shelley kind of covered it at one point where um, she explained the flu there was a strain of flu going on and it kind of changed the DNA of the cells. And I yeah. seem to remember that conversation. We'll ask her again, Persephone. Yeah, I, th- I think what she's, what Persephone is actually getting to is probably even more me- mechanical than that because it's like, okay, you swallow the blood. How does it get into the circulatory system and right. start doing its work? I you know, feel like it it's perfused, topical anyway. Perfused through the stomach and yeah. digestive system. Well, do I you think know, it's all of the above. The skin absorbs it. And- and how Diana f- said she felt numb mm-hmm. when Matthew put his blood on her. Imagine having uh, the person you drained all the blood out of take in your blood. It would 
just say it's fuck the like, digestive system. We're just well, going but, through. Well, here's the whole thing: is like as soon as everything it starts touching starts starts its chain reaction mutation, and by the time it hits your stomach, your stomach's designed to perfuse the nutrient, your regular nutrients through your system. It's it's it it, it is the distribution system. Mm-hmm. So I think once it hits your stomach, the chain it just intensifies the ability for the chain reaction to. Yeah. feed off itself. Yeah. But that's my non-sciencey answer. Mm. If I can follow it, that's uh, my level two. It's good. <laughs> it's a, it's a, good, it's a whether, good solid answer. Yeah. Whether it's right or not is another story, but it's, it's an answer that makes sense to Angela and I, so that's what you get. <laughs> and if you think about the scene with Miriam, uh, when Diana had just got into that scuffle of burning Juliet up and Miriam's trying to sew her up and he put, she puts drops of blood on her neck to suture up yeah. the, I mean, it, it automatically changes the properties of that portion of her skin. Yeah. And even later on in the discovery of witches she talks about how it still feels a little bit still feels cold there yeah yeah and uh matthew said it's as if you're part vampire right there so things to think about i don't know it's magic thank you persephone (laughs) for making us think yeah i know it was rusty there for a second i love these i love these questions out of left field they're fun keeps us on our toes so we have another one from steven i feel like steven's doing a mass catch-up on us he's been which is great because we've missed our I know. We were about to send a search party for him, but he's back. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So from Stephen, and this is reference our Christmas episode. He says, hi, Valerie, Angela and Jean, just catching up with the podcast and got to the part Christmas 2019 episode about hiding messages in the spines of new books. What a great idea. Winky. Jeez, I wonder (laughs) who had that. So he put a winky emoji. Oh, that reminds me. We got to do the emoji contest. Not this time. Next time, I think. I have been on a bit of a hiatus myself recently. In this case, forsaken delightful demons for Drew Hayes audiobooks, specifically his super powered series and the spinoff Corpies. Take care, Stephen. We'll have to get a review, Stephen. Send send us your thoughts on the books and let us know if it's something all the discussers need to pick up. Yep. Okay. So here we go. We're going on to save for show. It's left field, but we're going to tie this into the trilogy, okay? We're yes. going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> This episode, same for the show, is sponsored by Amy Austin Taggart. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. I hope you're feeling better. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. All right. So the topic is, let's talk about relationship reflections and the very loose and sloppy way we're tying it into the all soul so this came up yesterday. Uh, Jean had shared an article with us. Yeah, it's a, it was an opinion piece from the, the New York Times. That I thought it was like, it kind of sums up the weird microcosm that is any kind of social media circle or, or even fandom circle. Right. It was an opinion piece written by a young woman. Well, I don't know how young, but reflecting on the fact that her ex is now dating Lady Gaga and she found out because somebody posted a picture of them 
posted on Instagram mm-hmm. together at the Super Bowl. And, and it read like a Carrie Bradshaw piece. Yeah, <laughs> I, it did. But it was like, but she also had some really interesting perceptions in there about real life, whether real life is reflected in social media and, like you said, reflected relationships. Yeah, and and how how she chose to deal with the fact that her ex, who by the way, not somebody anybody's going to kick out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> Dude was fine. Oh, Not fine. 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 Oh, hello. 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 Yes. And, and of course, media was like going on about, oh, look, Gaga's dating a normal guy. I'm like, uh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. That's fucking hot. Not what, that's not what real normal looks like. All right. To bring you guys back, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, the uh, piece is called, it's an opinion piece, My Ex-Boyfriend's New Girlfriend is Lady Gaga, and it's by Lindsay Krauss. But, but what I love about the whole piece is how she kind of flips it on, her, on its ear as far as like, well, he traded me in for a better model kind of thing, which I don't think is how any of that happened. But, you know, instead the self-reflection about what what about me isn't yeah. good enough. Right. She's like, well, shit, I'm going to be more like her and, and be bolder. And, you know, she looked at the fact that a guy that loved her is now with someone like that as, hey, I, I there's parts of me that are like that, too. I need to bring them out more. And what she did with it, she turned it into a positive by, you know, yes. putting it out in the universe, writing this article, allowing herself to be vulnerable to the public at large because we all get a little stalkery. And then what made me think we could tie this back is like, what if Kit had social media? Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. God. Kit, Kit in the 21st century? Oh, my good, good, good no. God. Oh, talk about stalking. Well, oh, well, yeah. And let's also talk about Gallaglass in the 20th and 21st century. He had social media. Mm, yeah. Throw that little twist in there. But see, I and there, there's a difference in the personalities, though. Yeah, Kit I, would I, torture I, himself with that. Gallaglass would want nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, but he would have to have something to do with it because he has to keep an eye on her and that's a tool that's available. Talk about torture yeah. set up by Philippe. Yeah, it's true. I don't know how I felt about this article. Like I said, it read like a Carrie Bradshaw piece uh-huh. <laughs> because I'm heavily into sex in the city, guys. OK, this is like Again. a thing and I'm going through it. And uh, my husband even bought me a necklace. So <laughs> that is <Yeah>. so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So, uh, yeah, I'll discuss more in the after show. But part of me was like, why are you comparing? Why are you torturing yourself like this? Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you do that? Most people can't help but do that. I guess. I think it's because social media is set up like crack to, to encourage. <laughs> well, to, to encourage that. And then and plus, and then you've got everybody only put, you know, no, everybody's got a social media personality, regardless of whether they believe it or not. Right. You self edit. You, you, it's human nature to self edit. Mm hmm. On social media. I self-edit a lot. It's, it's true. Yeah. And, and as much as I don't participate in Facebook, me not participating is my self-editing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ditto. Ditto. Because if uh, I said the- every thought... I, <laughs> <laughs> and I have friends that do that. Everything they eat, this is what I did today. They use it as a diary. And I'm I like, know. no. <laughs> well, do, do, and the other thing about this this opinion piece that it made me think about, too, and in a weird way ties into the fandom, mm. for every guy that you think is hot and perfect and a catch... 
there's somebody who was sick of his shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen. Yes. I mean, she was with this guy for seven years and she broke up with him. So that's got to right. say something there. Right. And it had to be a room. I'm like, okay. She takes you through her thoughts and her feelings and everything. Yeah. And it's like, I think the scenario is, uh, I think it's like you have that car, that beautiful car parked in your garage, but you don't use it. But if someone came in and drove off with it, you'd be lose your mind. You'd yeah. lose your fucking mind. <laughs> be yeah. like, it's my car. What are you doing? Yeah. I love that car. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best car ever. <laughs> and it just kind of made me think of that scenario. Like, okay, it was an exercise our counselor put us through. Just like, uh-huh. don't take each other for granted. Don't do this. Don't uh-huh. do that. But it, it's that same kind of thing. It's like, but but I wanted him. It's like, bitch, you just broke up with him. <laughs> why right. Would you, yeah. Why would you want him? So, yeah, it's interesting. And I felt kind of weird reading it. I felt voyeuristic reading it because. Yeah. But on the other hand, she like you said, she put herself out there and I thought she made some really good points about just the general voyeurism of social media in general. Yeah. Because she, how weird is it that these people you never talk to, but you've seen their kid, you know, like college circle people and people don't you don't really talk to anymore. Or folks from high school, you see pictures of their kids and now grant for me, grandkids. And, right. And like know these weird, intimate details mm-hmm. about them, but you haven't actually dealt with them in 30 years. Yeah, but you're sitting there watching their life go by. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, and it's entertainment and it's validation in a way when you put it out there and somebody likes your poster, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. It's like, it's a weird, weird new world we're living in. And t- and just turning off the computer is not going to change it, really and truly. No. Because it, it's too pervasive now. Yeah. That's all I thought of was Kit just, you know, stalking Diana and Matthew. <laughs> well, I, I'm also curious to, I'm also curious to see how this may unfold in future books, especially with Nathaniel being, being so computer savvy. So, yeah. yeah. So computer savvy. And I can certainly see the longer that Baldwin's around him. Yeah. Seeing the opportunities there. Yeah. Because I, I get a feeling that at some point in time, these the story has got to incorporate marketing and propaganda and message management and and delivery systems like news distribution systems and, and social media. <laughs> No, it's social media because once they have to bring everybody in on the this quote unquote secret of creatures, yeah, they're it's a message they're really going to have to manage. And Baldwin and Hamish are going to be the guys charged doing it because they've got the financial network to influence the various industries that have to be manipulated in order to do so. Yeah, also see some abuse happening there with the creature world. Think of Jer Bear, like uh, well, if he if he ever Jer-Bear figured it out, gets, if Jer Bear ever gets off gets off of. T- in the, right. <laughs> and fat life, maybe. Uh, I mean, if he didn't have to call Jean Luc all the time. <laughs> but imagine if, imagine if uh, a Gerber oh. personality was somewhat savvy. What yeah, damage he could do? Yeah, if Gerber got all, if, if we'd quit getting all those viruses downloaded <laughs> off the porn sites. <laughs> but, but it said it was for free. <laughs> Oh, I love that chapter. <laughs> that chapter is like one of my freaking favorites. It's so awesome. And fake Jabera on Facebook it's was the best. Such a juxtaposition because in that same chapter where Gal Glass confess, they switch over and now we're Jabera's castle. I'm like, oh, yeah. things are picking up now. <laughs> no, he's, but no, he he's shopping for bondage wear on the line and he got another virus. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, wow. Poor Jermere. I definitely Wait. have the outlook of Isabel, though. I'm like, all oh, this posturing at court. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> and there it is. That's our sloppy tie into the All Souls universe. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. Ta da! <laughs> Ta da! Right, guys so stick with us and after this we'll do last thoughts and things we cannot let go of this podcast is available on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and wherever you like to listen to your podcasts you can contact us send us your thoughts email us at demons at gmail.com leave us a voicemail at 360-519-7836 by the way your carrier rates apply here or leave one for free on speakpipe speakpipe.com slant demons discuss now, if you can't remember any of that, go to go.demonsdiscuss.com, slant contact, and all that information will be there. You can also become a discusser there, fill out the form, and bam, you're a discusser. And the link to join our Facebook group is there, too. Visit our main site, demonsdomain.com. And if you really feel like deep diving, go to visit.demonsdomain.com, slant master post. And you can read interviews geek out with weekly geeks about all souls universe read about the characters keep that geek flag flying guys do you like what we do help us fund what we do go to patreon.com slant demons discuss make sure you follow us on social media we are on twitter facebook and instagram all at demons discuss if you're liking what you're hearing and you want to tell the world about it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We read them. It's wonderful. Also, it keeps Angela alive, and we need her around, okay? Keep Angela alive! I actually wrote down my last thoughts in my journal! You in were your organized. Journal. <laughs> in my planner! Yeah, I came organized. I came ready to go. Anybody have any last thoughts, though? My last thought is, by the time you're listening to this, the tickets will either be on sale or about to be on sale for... All Souls Con in Philly. Uh, tickets on sale. Be there or be square, because we will be with all sorts of surprises. Huh? Yep. That's the first time hearing of it. Oh, my God. The, the <laughs> apparently, <laughs> Laura. Okay, so a quick editor break in. You're probably wondering, Valerie, why are you guys busting in with so many beeping tones? What's going on? Well, what was going on was we were revealing the original date that the ticket sales were supposed to happen. And upon review, we realized it's not that responsible for us to broadcast those dates because things have changed. Obviously, we're dealing with the pandemic now. All Souls Con has put out a message and I'm going to read that for you now. And this is from our Laura. In light of the ramifications of the COVID-19, we will be postponing the sale of tickets for All Souls Con. Right now, we are focused on taking care of our families, and we know that you're doing the same. Once we settle on a date for the sale of both alumni and new attendees tickets, we will give a minimum two-week window of notice before they go on sale. Please take care of yourselves as we treasure each member of our All Souls family. So that's the message that we want to put out from All Souls Con. This is coming from them. And why we bleeped it out again, we were giving out dates. And obviously things have changed between the time of recording and publication. So hope you understand. Okay, I'm getting out of the way now. You guys can just listen to the rest of the episode and enjoy yourselves. Bye. Yeah.
buried the lead. Oh, there you go. Okay. So yay. Uh, so yay. allsoulscon.org. And that's when they'll be on sale. Yes. And if you're wondering what an All Souls Con is like, the virtual attendance package is still on sale for $10. I think it's $10 American. So you can get all of the general panels from Cardiff, which would include the cast panel. And prior cons, uh, 15, 17, and 18 are all available on YouTube and free. Yep. YouTube so or you, Vimeo. Did you does Vimeo. have that on Vimeo? Yeah. I forget. Yeah. So if you're wondering what a con is like, check them out. Yep. Angela, what do you have? My last thought is actually book news. It's not new news, but it's just confirmation one step closer. Someone asked Deb if the next book is The Serpent's Mirror, and she said, no, Serpent's Mirror will be the book after this one. And she has a working title that she would like to have approved. It hasn't been approved yet, and she's hoping that it will be so she can announce it soon. Is that what she was doing in New York last week? There is. Oh, we are recording on the 28th and Deb has a Facebook live plan for Monday, March 2nd. Yeah, maybe that's what she's going to know. And so by the time you guys hear this, that would have all been passed. So, yeah, so time, time, walk, time walking around in circle. Um, yeah. As we record this, we're speculating that Deb will announce the title and we hope our speculation turns out to be true by the time you hear this. That's right. Who's that guy on Jarnet Carson? Um, Karnak. The great Karnak. The Karnak. That's right. We're trying to be Karnak right here. <laughs> Anything else, Angela? Nope, that's it. Nope, that's good. That's good. All right. So I was going to do All Souls Con, but Gene already covered that. I'm sorry. I'm that's sorry. okay. Cross that out. You're Karnak. That's the same right. people. <laughs> oh my God, we have the same brain again. I know. It's getting spooky. I would like to thank our audience for all of the discusser emails. They were wonderful, well thought out, delightful. And if yours didn't get read, I put it in a folder. I'm trying to get way more organized with those. I realized I can schedule them. <laughs> I, yeah, I was yesterday years old when I found out I can schedule them. <laughs> Shocking. So there you go. I mean, uh, I'm going to write them out ahead of time and schedule them. And so you guys are going to get more discusser emails when you're supposed to. So what do you think of that? Huh? That's awesome. Demons. Uh, that's right. Always learning new tricks. New things. Got to keep it going. Oh, you guys know I'm on my West Wing binge as l- alongside. I'm having like a 90s nostalgia thing. Okay, what do you what do you, what episode are you up to? Season 3, episode 20. And I wanted to point that out because I had a Valerie Pettiford sighting. Mm. Oh, okay. Season 3, episode 20, which what's going on in that episode? Uh, I think that's still Sam that's still Sam Seaborn era. Yes. Sam Seaborn is he didn't run for Senate until the next season. So, yeah, yeah. that's season 4 that happened. So, Valerie Pettiford was uh, playing a security guard and Toby was nervous about something. So he went in and started talking nervously to the security guard and she turns around and he's like, are those new uniforms that you guys have? And she turned around and she's like, no, we've had these for a year. And I looked at her face. I was like, that's Valerie Pettiford. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that's a cute little aside. So whatever. Um, That's hilarious. And uh, we have an emoji contest still going on. So by the time you hear this, you have, still have time to enter. Uh, the emoji is the blow my mind. Is that the one? Yes. No, mind we, blown. Yes, it is. Wait. You're right. Yeah. yeah. It's the mind blown. So when you hear mm-hmm. this, you'll only have two more weeks. 
because after that, we're going to draw for that one. So uh, tweet the mind blown emoji to at Demons Discuss. And that's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. You can say more things. But as long as we see the mind blown emoji, you're in it to win it, dude. That's it. Spe- I was going to say, speaking of also spotting, James Purfoy was back on the season of Sex uh, sex Education. Really? a fight with a pup tent. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and, getting lost, and getting lost in the woods. It was uh, pretty fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> And then banging the concierge at the hotel after they gave up on camping. Okay, so listen, when I thought pub tent, I wasn't thinking the guy. (laughs) I thought the same as you, Bill. Okay, see? (laughs) We're the dirty buddies this time. (laughs) All you had to say was James Purefoy. I'm like... Dirty buddy. Angela, the dirty buddy. (laughs) All right. I think we better go. So on that note, let's say goodbye, everybody. We need to go to the after show. Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Demon kiss. We'll talk to you in a fortnight. Bye. Bye. Bye.